Welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 183 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is the review portion of the show. Remember, we're dividing it into two pieces each week, A and B, review and preview Monday and Thursday night. So this is TNC 183A for the week of August 17. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And um, let's see, Gail asks, <laughs> does that mean Monday's, Monday's show is the A side and Thursday's show is the B side? You know what? Technically, yes. But in this situation, there is no, uh, this is a 50-50 per split. All right? And you know what? Maybe we'll go 45-45 and you guys could decide the better show and that one gets the extra 10% of the purse. Uh, a couple of quick little uh, rants I need to get off my chest. So, um... There was some video on Twitter. Somebody posted uh, a kid hitting mitts. I think it was with his dad. It looked like it might have been his dad. He was doing 500 punch combination, you know, mitt thing. Um, Moved his feet not once. Didn't shift his body or anything once. He dipped a couple times, but that was it. It was all choreographed. And I just retweeted it and said, you know what? This is basically like a Beyonce dance routine. It's completely useless in a fight. Most of you got it. But there was a few people out there who were triggered and uh, had to get on my case. I had like child activists coming back to me. Hey, man, lay off the kids, bro. Don't, don't bash kids like that. Nowhere in my tweet, my retweet, did I say, this kid sucks. I hate all kids. And also, I like to kill puppies. I didn't say anything like that. All I, I, my tweet was directed at the trainer, obviously. Again, most of you guys got it. So anyway, I just did another retweet of the retweet explaining that. Some of you guys are so sensitive on Twitter, man. Damn. Also, I know this is a Boxing Monthly related show, but I got to give a quick shout out to Ring Magazine because the latest issue is out and my latest article is in it about Caleb Plant. Name of the article, The Music City Trailblazer. And of course, Nashville, Tennessee being the music city. But enough of that. This is a Boxing Monthly podcast. So just had to give a little shout out for my own work. All right. Okay, guys. So um, you guys know the drill. Smash the like button. Oh, Michael Barrios is on. What's up, brother? Hope everything's going well with you and Stella and the little guy. Hopefully, I'll be seeing you guys soon. I think I'll be out there in LA covering Spence Porter. Once I know for sure... I'll let you guys know. But anyway, guys, yes, smash the like button, okay? Uh, Your homework this week, get the word out. We didn't have as many people watch Thursday night as we normally do Monday. And I think that's because a lot of people, they're just not used to me going on Thursday night. So I want to try this for a while. I want to give this a try, doing two shows a week. And I want to see how it goes. If the Thursday night thing doesn't catch on, we'll go back to doing one show a week. But... I want to get the word out about the Thursday preview show. I think it's going to be better because we can hit news and notes twice in a week. And also I could get to more of your questions. I can spend more time breaking down the fights. And then once we do finally get the studio set up, I know I've been promising it forever. But once we do and once we have call-in feature, you guys can call in twice a week. We can have guests on twice a week. So... That's the long-term goal there. So spread the word about the Thursday show, all right? Let's get people watching Thursday. If you don't think Thursday works and you think Friday night works better, let me know. I think Thursday night works better because there are a lot of Thursday and Friday night fight cards. That's why I think a Thursday night preview show is probably the best way to go. All right, so some quick news and notes. 
Regis Progray and his promoter Lou DiBella have filed a lawsuit to withdraw from the World Boxing Super Series. This sucks. This sucks because I have been really excited to see Progray and Josh Taylor fight in the finale. You guys know I've been talking about it ever since they announced who was going to be in that 140-pound tournament. I told you it was going to be between Progray and Taylor, and I told you that was going to likely be, at least on paper, the most intriguing matchup for diehard fight fans of the year. Some people hate tournaments. I like them. I think they can be a good thing. Look what the Showtime's tournament, I think the Super 6 tournament, I think it was called, years ago. Look what that did for Andre Ward. He eventually became a star, you know, uh, he screwed his own momentum and you know I could go back and beat that dead horse a million times but when he got out of that tournament he was a star in the making look at what the world boxing super series season one did for Alexander Usyk it did great things for him man he he was he won the fighter of the year award last year universally won the fighter of the year award right it wasn't just the BWA it was across the board he was the fighter of the year. So it did big things for him. Callum Smith is now a bona fide name over in the UK. It did good things for him over there. He hasn't quite crashed the world level yet, but he could. You know what I'm saying? So I like tournaments. And I think a, a winner between Progray and, and Taylor, that'd be a star in the making for sure. It would have been for the ring title at 140. Whatever, you know, if, if you don't value the ring title, fine. But if you do... Take from that what you will. It just would have been a big deal, right? Well, we're still going to get Donaire and Inouye. We're still going to get the Cruiserweight finale. And for the record, I still think we're going to get the 140-pound finale because here's the thing. DiBella and Progress say that the WBSS violated the escrow agreement. They wanted a certain amount of their purse put into an escrow uh, account. There was a certain timeline that they wanted before the fight actually happened. So, look, some of that, I think, you know, whatever's in the contract, I don't know. Maybe they had some sort of agreement in the contract that a certain percentage of the purse had to be in an escrow account before the fight. I'm not sure. The way I've always seen it, fighters get paid after the fight, not before. But anyway, Progray and DiBella have kind of had it. They want to pull out. Here's the thing. They signed a contract. And it's going to be very difficult for them to go into court and prove that the WBSS didn't uphold their end of the bargain if they got paid for the quarterfinals and semifinals, and they did. So everything that's been promised to them, they've been given up to this point. So, man, I just hope this doesn't become some long legal battle. The World Boxing Super Series countered, uh, did a counter lawsuit against Progray and DiBella, and they're saying, look, we're going forward with the finale. You guys got to fight Taylor. Remember, Ivan Baranchek tried to get out, and I told you guys that I thought he'd end up staying in the tournament, and he did. I tend to think that's what will happen here. I just, I, I guess we need more details because unless you got something really, really substantial, if you're programming Debella, that shows that the World Boxing Super Series handlers really violated their side of the deal on the contract, you're kind of locked in, man. You signed, the, you signed the contract, so. We'll have to see what happens. But that's just really a buzzkill for me, man. Uh, good news. I talked about Alexander Usyk a minute ago. He is finally going to fight Carlos Takam October 12th in Chicago on the zone at the Trust Arena. For those of you familiar with Chicago, Trust Arena is right by Chinatown, um, closer to the water from Chinatown and maybe two, three miles south of the Bean. 
So it's kind of like right there, man. If you're downtown, you can hop on the L. Boom, you're there. I think uh, it has like a 10,000 seat capacity. So can they sell that out? I don't know. There is a Ukrainian population there. I think they need to get some Polish guys and some Mexican guys on the undercard. And then, yeah, maybe they can sell out Wintrust Arena. They got time to promote this thing. They got two months. So it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. Now, let's talk about the big, big thing everyone's been talking about for the last couple of days, really since the weekend. Um, I think it was Saturday that this news dropped. But uh, Andy Ruiz Jr., Anthony Joshua too, according to Matchroom, according to Eddie Hearn, according to Anthony Joshua, according to DAZN, and they even talked about it on their broadcast this weekend. Apparently that rematch is set. And it is good for December 7th in Darius, Saudi Arabia. However, there has been talk. None of it's been substantiated or confirmed from Andy Ruiz's side, other than something his trainer said, which I'll get to in a second. But apparently Andy Ruiz is not signed on. Now, I need to make this distinction. There's no new contract. They signed a contract months ago before the first fight. So it's not like there's a new contract. There's one contract that Andy Ruiz already signed. So it's a little disingenuous for some members of the media to say he hasn't signed yet. He signed like six months ago when he fought AJ the first time. When he was signing that contract, he was also signing for the rematch. So that's signed, that's sealed, that is delivered in the contract. He already signed the damn contract. However, he hasn't agreed to terms that's a little different than signing the contract for the rematch. So apparently he wants more money and I think he'll get it. A lot of people are on social media trying to bitch about Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua and somehow making it seem like they're taking advantage of Andy Ruiz and that Andy Ruiz has bargaining power now because he won the first fight. None of that shit matters. It doesn't matter who won the first fight. They signed a contract. It's locked in. There's a little bit of wiggle room here, but it's A contract is legally binding people, okay? And there's other people on social media saying that, you know, conspiracy theories that Uncle Al's playing chess and uh, Eddie Hearn's playing checkers. And this is all some Machiavellian mind trick to get Ruiz out of the rematch so they can get him a fight with Deontay Wilder, even though he already has a contract signed to fight Tyson Fury early next year. Obviously, all that's craziness. Let me break this shit down for you, Okay. Eddie Hearn wants to start promoting this damn rematch. December 7th is over three months away. He wants to get it announced, and he wants to start selling tickets, and he wants to promote the hell out of this thing. It's almost four months out from now. But he'd love to have all the terms and everything worked out by the end of this month so that from, let's say, September 1st through December 1st, fight week, That's three months he could promote the living hell out of this thing. That's what Eddie Hearn wants to do. And he is the lead promoter on this. It's not PBC. It's Matchroom. Okay? He wants three plus months to promote. And he needs big pay-per-view numbers from the UK to give, to, to be able to pay AJ what he wants. Right? To make a buck on this thing. And they're going to make some money on this for real. But he needs big pay-per-view numbers from the UK. Now, If the fight wasn't going to happen in the UK because Andy Ruiz wants a neutral location, well, these guys in Saudi Arabia apparently put up, there's a site fee of $40 million and complete investment of $100 million for this damn thing. That's what's being rumored 
I don't know. I've seen that from multiple sources. I know for sure the $40 million site fee is legit, okay? So if that's already up, you got that kind of money coming from Saudi Arabia. That, in terms of time zones, that helps Eddie Hearn with the UK pay-per-view. That helps everybody eat. And I don't think it's going to hurt the zones ratings in America too much because it's not like the card's going to be on at 7 in the morning or 3 in the morning or something, right? Early in the morning or super late at night, it's probably going to be one of these afternoon cards that, you know, uh, they can rebroadcast or, well, it's a streaming site, so you can go back and rewatch it at any point. So I think that in terms of uh, the, the time zone in Saudi Arabia, it works out. In terms of the money, it works out. Now, a lot of people are questioning including myself at first. When I first heard Saudi Arabia, I'm like, ah, shit, this ain't going to happen. How many times was Manny Pacquiao rumored to be fighting in Saudi Arabia or that part of the world? And there was these investors, shadow investors, and they never came up with the money. And Bob Arum said, hell no, he ain't doing that. I'm talking about back when Manny was with Top Rank and Bob Arum. We saw that happen a bunch of times. But you guys are forgetting something when it comes to Matchroom and Eddie Hearn. They did the World Boxing Super Series Season 1 finale, one of the fights, in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, last year. Eddie Hearn has also had Amir Khan fight over there, right? And I know Amir Khan is kind of one of these guys that's got cross-promotional stuff happening. There's ties to PBC. I get all that. But anyway, Eddie Hearn has built relationships over there, right? Again... He already had World Boxing Super Series finale over there. They've had a couple of boxing events. They've had other big sporting events over there outside of boxing. So there is a market there and there are relationships there. And they've showed up with the money before. So Eddie must know some guys over there that want to do business. And he feels confident enough, and so do the folks at The Zone, to announce this thing. They had a presser today announcing it. They announced it. Nobody from Andy Ruiz's team was there. And immediately, this whole situation kind of reminded me of the rematch between Sergey Kovalev and Andre Ward. Remember, main events, they were trying to kickstart the promotion and get things going. And so they had a presser in L.A. that Kathy Duva and all those folks were there. Sergey Kovalev and his team was there. Andre Ward, Rock Nation, none of those people were there. Um, that was... A, probably a bad way to start everything off and promote it. And that card obviously did very poorly. The pay-per-view bombed. Rock Nation lost a shitload of money on that rematch. They grossly overpaid Andre Ward and they did a terrible job promoting it. I don't think that's going to be a problem for this fight. This fight is the most going to be the most anticipated fight of the year by the time it happens because of what took place in the first fight. It was one of the biggest upsets in modern sports history. Anthony Joshua brings his own traveling circus with him, right? He's one of the biggest, most marketable fighters in the sport. You can make the argument he's number two behind Canelo Alvarez. So they're going to do numbers. The fact that they have three plus months to promote, they're going to do numbers. It just reminded me of that situation with Ward Kovalev because only one side of the promotion was there to kick things off. But I do think by the end of this month, Andy Ruiz and his team, which I think they do deserve more than the $9 million that's been rumored. I think he made, what, $7 million in the first fight. He should make eight figures for the rematch. But guys, a lot of you are upset that, uh, that uh, AJ is going to make significantly more money than Ruiz. 
Oh, Rigside Reporter's on here. They're saying Joshua wasn't there either. Okay, Joshua wasn't there, but his team was there. His representation was there. My bad. I misspoke on that. Thank you for correcting me, guys. Uh, so anyway, Anthony Joshua's entire team, his promoter were there, lead promoter, announcing that the fight's going to happen. And then Anthony Joshua tweeted about it, posted about it all weekend long on his social media. So obviously he's on board, right? Okay. Um, anyway, you guys maybe lose my train of thought, but thank you for correcting me. Ruiz, $7 million in the first match. He deserves eight figures in the rematch, obviously. But AJ is going to make significantly more money. He's the bigger fighter. He's the bigger brand. Now, does he deserve 90% of the purse to 10%? No, but that's not what's going to happen here. I think in the first fight, Ruiz, by the way, career high payday was $1 million with Joseph Parker. And then against AJ's career, new career high was $7 million. He will probably end up getting about twice that in this re- rematch. And he should. I think that's fair. But if AJ made around, I think it was rumored to be somewhere around 20, 25 million, he's probably going to make that much for this fight. Actually, probably more, probably around 30 or so. He's still the financial A side and going to bring everything in. That's what it is. So I want to real quickly go to the rumors of Wilder Ruiz. People are saying, you know, again, Andy Ruiz can drop his titles. He can walk away from this rematch and he could go fight Deontay Wilder for even more money. He could make maybe $20 million, I'm hearing from some people. Guys, that just the economics of that don't work out. First of all, he would face litigation from Eddie Hearn and Matchroom, who would get a, probably the, the terms of the litigation when it all is said and done is Eddie Hearn and Matchroom would get a portion of his next purse or two or three purses, a percentage. So he'd have to give some money to Uncle Eddie. They'd either have to buy him out of that rematch contract with Eddie. Something like that would happen, right? Also, he'd give up his titles. Andy Ruiz has two bargaining chips right now. One, that he's Mexican-American. Two, that he has titles. Outside of that, not much bargaining power. So with Deontay Wilder, just quick numbers here, guys. If they do Wilder Ruiz, let's say, in Las Vegas, the gate of that fight, maybe they do $25 million. Now, to put things in perspective, both Canelo-Golovkin fights did just under, one did just under, one did just over $25 million at the gate there in Vegas. I think Wilder Ruiz probably could do a similar gate. Do I think it'd smoke that gate and do $50 million? Absolutely not. Neither guy has shown they could draw like that. But... I think they absolutely could do around 25 million. Let's be generous and say that they get 30 million, which I think would be the third highest grossing gate in Las Vegas history. Let's go ahead and say that. Okay, 30 million. You split that down the middle. Okay. Then you got the, um, then you got the pay-per-view. $80 pay-per-view. If you do 500,000 of them, that's being generous. That, that ends up being $20 million to split between both sides. Okay. Then you got to pay for undercard and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, if you'd start doing the math, maybe Ruiz would, I I think, definitely could get more fighting against Deontay Wilder. But, again, you guys are forgetting all the litigation he'd be in, tied up with with, uh, Matchroom and with the sanctioning organizations. Now, look, he gets stripped of several of his titles. I think the WBA would give him one of their 8,000 titles, and obviously the BC... They're going to do business with Andy Ruiz, win, lose, or draw from here because Mauricio wants to hook himself up and entangle himself up in that web if he can. 
So they'd put him up and prop him up to mandatory or something like that, especially with the Dillian White situation being up in the air. I get all that, guys. But again, and I, I was consistent when I talked about ProGrade, DiBella, the World Boxing Super Series. There's a contract here. There's a contract that's been signed. It's legally binding. So at the end of the day, what's going to happen, I'm telling you guys right now, regardless of what you hear online, is Andy Ruiz Jr. and Anthony Joshua are going to fight a rematch this year. That's what's going to happen. And I think that Andy Ruiz will likely get, he's definitely getting eight figures. He might get upwards of twice the amount he got in the first fight, $14 million or so. Again, when you look at what he's made his entire career, a million against Parker, $7 million in the first AJ fight, twice as much in the rematch, he's doing pretty well. Some of you guys might be mad that Anthony Joshua is making so much more money, but this is like the argument with uh, the, the World Cup soccer, where the, the Women's World Cup generates, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, guys, but I know it's maybe 1% of the revenue of what the Men's World Cup generates. So the men make more. It doesn't matter if one female team is super dominant and kicks the shit out of all the other female teams in comparison to what the men do. They don't bring in the revenue. So, and, and I know, nuance, the American female team brings in significantly a, a good percentage of money, maybe even more than the male American team in America. That's different. Just like Andy Ruiz is going to bring in more money in Mexico than Anthony Joshua. Okay, so I get that. But we're talking globally. Globally here, Anthony Joshua is the bigger brand. He's going to get more money. I know one of you guys, I couldn't, I couldn't see who it was, commented that Andy Ruiz is supposed to get $9 million. I know, he's not happy with $9 million. He's going to end up getting more. Trust me, he'll get more than that. He'll get eight figures. Even if, even if he only gets $9 million, it's still a career-high payday for him. And he signed the damn contract. He signed the contract, guys. When you, I, I was in the Marine Corps. I signed a contract to go over, if, if I had to, to go overseas and kill people for the United States government. I was only 18 when I signed that damn contract. When you're 18, you're an idiot, okay? I couldn't get out of that contract, right? So when you sign a contract, that's what happens. He signed a contract, now, do I think he deserves more money? Yes. Do I think he deserves anywhere near what AJ is going to make? No, I don't. I don't. AJ's bringing in all the money. He's the one generating all the money. So he's going to make more of it. When Gennady Golovkin first fought Canelo Alvarez, their split was, I can't remember the exact numbers. Let's say 70-30 in that range. In the rematch, Golovkin wanted more. Well, different situation. You can't compare that exactly to what this is, right? If Andy Ruiz wants to play tough, though, and I think he will and I think he should, then I think he can get more money the way Golovkin did in the rematch with Canelo because Canelo couldn't make anywhere near the same amount of money as he could with Golovkin. Now... AJ can make money fighting a cab driver back in the UK, but he wants those titles back, right? So I think in the end, if, if Ruiz does hold out and plays tough, I think he could get some more money. So, um, all right, look, let me see. A bunch of you guys are yapping about this in the chat. I can see that 
for whatever reason, there's a, there's a strong political thing here with this. A lot of you guys, you know, really, really hate Eddie Hearn or really, really hate Al Heyman. And depending on where you sit on that ideological fence, uh, you have a different opinion on this. I think if you just compare this to other situations like before, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. So, um, and again, they're going to fight. There's too much money to be made here, especially if you got guys in Saudi Arabia putting up that kind of money. So, uh, let's see. Ignacio Ortiz asks, what do you think of Edgar Berlanga? He looks like he's got legit power, but needs to face better competition in order to find out how good he really is. You said it, Ignacio. That's exactly what I think. Good power. But look, F.A. Ajagba looked like he had bone-crushing power, right? And in his last fight, when he finally stepped up and fought somebody, he didn't look that damn powerful, right? So same thing here with Berlanga. Now, he has better fundamentals than Ajagba, but we need to see him step up. Right now, he looks awesome. Let's get him to that next level. Let's see how he looks. Best thing for guys like him? Rounds. I know the knockouts excite everybody. I know seeing these, you know, real quick stoppages, seeing dudes line everybody up and knock them down excites people. But the best thing for a guy like him, rounds. Let's see here. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Ignacio also asks, also does Rob, uh, Rabisi Ramirez get revenge on the guy who just beat him Saturday but in a six-rounder? You know, maybe that's the best thing they could do. I'll talk about that fight in a second. Uh, the, the decorated Cuban amateur losing his pro debut, and I'll, I'm going to give some insight on that as well. Um, you know, maybe go right back to that. You know, I've gone on record saying I think it's great Anthony Joshua is going right back in Andy Ruiz for a rematch. And I think it's going to go differently than a lot of you think. I'm going to talk more about that as, as we get closer to the actual fight. Because I'm hearing things behind the scenes from some of my buddies in the gyms that um, aren't really surprising me. I think a lot of people are getting caught up in the moment right now. But again, we'll talk more about that in a couple months. Uh, anyway, I think the best thing maybe for Ramirez to do is get right back in there. And quickly. It was only a four-rounder. He can get back in there on the next ESPN card. Why the hell not? And avenge that freaking loss. Harrison Property says Triple G got 25%. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it was 75-25 up front, and then it ended up being something like 65-35 in the rematch. I can't remember the exact numbers. I wrote about it in Boxing Monthly Magazine, um, and I wrote the exact per split numbers in that article. I remember that because I talked to everybody involved and got them. And I had to really haggle to get the freaking numbers from these guys. But... Um, Jacob Rivas says, audio is choppy and keeps cutting out. Jacob, refresh your, um, your browser, man. It could be you, because on my end, everything's good. Okay, and you guys are arguing between Estadio Azteca and Wembley, so obviously you're still mad about this Ruiz-Joshua situation. Man, look, it is funny the way things get so drawn ideologically. Um, oh, man, it, it just, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, it's difficult to remain objective, it seems, because people support promoters and platforms more than fighters sometimes. It's, it's an odd thing in modern boxing. All right, let's get to the review, guys. We'll get to some more questions in a minute here. <clears throat> Saturday, August 10th. We didn't have a whole lot of action, but let me get to what we did have. So in Mexico, in Jalisco, Mexico, 
Uh, Julio Cesar Chavez scored a KO1 win over a Colombian who is now 1-4 in in his last five at light heavyweight. This is the same guy that Alfredo Angulo KO'd in Carson, California this April. Coincidence? Me thinks not, because what's likely to happen next is Chavez is going to fight Angulo. Angulo started his career, I believe, at 154, right? Was it 154? And now he's going to be fighting Chavez likely at 175. I don't know if I want to see that. I just don't. That could be really ugly. But that's probably what's going to happen next. Now, we have two big cards here in America. In Philadelphia on ESPN+, Plus, Top Rank and a few other promoters came together to uh, bring this card uh, on the Plus uh, Carl Frampton was supposed to be on freak injury to his hand. He's out. So Jason Sosa and Hoscar Liddell Rhodes get bumped up into the main event. I told you guys this was basically a gimme for Sosa. If he's anywhere near where he, he has been the last few years. And I was right. TKO seven went for Sosa. Rhodes was down twice in the fifth and once in the seventh. And of course that was a 130 pound bout. Rob C. Ramirez pro debut. Cuban, gold medalist, 2012-2016, loses by split decision to Adam Adam Gonzalez. One judge had it for Ramirez, which is ridiculous. 38-37 for Ramirez. And Ramirez was dropped in the first round. So that means he saw it three rounds to one for Ramirez. That's not the fight that most people saw. So this judge who had it for uh, Ramirez is Dave Braslow, who I looked into a little bit. He works a lot of top rank cards. A lot of top rank cards. So take from that what you will. The other two judges scored this fight more accurately. 40 to 35 for Gonzalez, 39 to 36 for Gonzalez. So what does that say? That says that, look, maybe at best you could go two rounds apiece. Maybe at best you could go two rounds apiece. But to me, it looked like Gonzalez won at least three rounds. Okay? And Ramirez got pretty much I don't want to say dominated because it was competitive it was it was a competitive fight but one dude got dropped and lost most of the rounds so this was a shocking debut for Ramirez now a lot of people were talking about well Bernard Hopkins who's also from Philly where this fight took place he lost his pro debut Vasily Lomachenko lost his second pro fight look at what those guys have gone on to do right I thought it was interesting coincidence that Gonzalez is from Denver. He lost his pro debut by mixed uh, majority decision. So he lost his pro debut. He gets in there against Ramirez, beats him in his pro debut. Things always go round circle in boxing. Here's the difference between B-Hop losing his first fight and Ramirez. B-Hop didn't have the amateur career that Ramirez did. Ramirez, again, two-time Olympic gold medalist from Cuba. Hopkins had to learn on the job as a pro fighter, right? I also, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe he was dropped in that fight or anything like that. So I don't think it's really comparable. Now, Lomachenko losing his second pro fight. That was a title fight. Orlando Salido cheated before the fight and during the fight. And Salido, look, he, you know, he's been busted before for peds and everything else. So, and he was basically a welterweight. I really didn't mind that. Lomachenko losing that fight, he learned more in those 12 rounds and he almost pulled it out than most guys learn in their first 20 fights as a professional. And clearly it's worked for him. So 
you really can't compare that. Also, you're comparing a 12-round fight to a four-round fight. You're comparing Orlando Salido, a former world champion, to Adam Gonzalez, right? So this is going to be a tough one for Ramirez to rebound from. He can, but I think that they need to get him back in the ring really quickly. And I agree with Ignacio that they need to get him in there against this guy again. Right that wrong and then get on with it, right? But I wanted to say this, and I know it's going to trigger some of you guys. I know it will. But can we stop glorifying Cuban amateurs? I just, look, two-time Olympic gold medalist, that matters, right? But how many of these Cuban amateurs go on to have really stellar professional careers? Very few. When we look at the amateur standouts from Eastern Europe, from the UK, from America, a lot of these guys go on to have pretty good careers, right? Even if they end up just being journeyman level guys and stuff like that. But we see a lot of the amateur standouts from Eastern Europe coming over and fighting for world titles within 10 fights or so, 10 pro fights, and doing quite well for themselves. You look at the pound for pound list, there's several of those guys on it. We hear all the time. What have we heard for decades? Cuban school of boxing. It's the best school of boxing in the world. These guys, it's the best school of boxing for amateur boxing. I don't, even, I don't know if I call it the best. It's among the best still. I hear that. But what Cuban fighter has defected, come over here and have a Hall of Fame career? Name me one. I don't think Guillermo Rigondeaux has done enough to be uh, a future Hall of Famer. He's not there. Maybe if he can win some more titles or something, but he's not going to be that guy. Irislandi Lara, no. So again, where are, these, where are these Cubans that are coming over here and doing amazing work as pros? We're not seeing it. We're not seeing it. So I think that there's always been a tendency to glorify the Cuban amateurs to a certain degree among Paul, Paul Jacobson says Ugas. Ugas is a very good fighter. And I don't think we've seen the best of Ugas yet. But again, he's not doing the things that we've, we hear about these. Jaul Casamayor. Yeah, that's a age, age money. Mr. DeZone says Jaul, Jaul Casamayor. I agree with you. Casamayor is a very underappreciated fighter. I don't know if he's Hall of Fame level. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? But um, Again, we've just been hearing for years and years and years and years that the Cuban guys are the best and everything else. When I look at the pound for pound list, I see a lot of guys from Eastern Europe. I see a lot of guys from America. I see a lot of guys from Mexico, right? That's where I see, and we're seeing more and more guys from the UK and everything like that. But that's where I'm seeing these fighters come from. Jack Alter says, Triple G, number one pound for pound. I wouldn't put Triple G, number one. Hasn't done enough in my book. But um, yes, he's among the top fighters in the world, pound for pound, and he's out of Kazakhstan, right? So yeah, man, I think we need to slow down and pump the brakes on everybody talking about the Cuban amateur system and how these guys are elite, elite. They're not always elite when they go pro. Very, very few of them are. And fighters from other parts of the world may not get as much love, particularly with the amateur style. Like Mexican fighters don't necessarily do well on the global level in the amateurs. But when they go pro, they do pretty damn well, right? And you can say the same thing about a lot of American fighters. 
So anyway, yeah. Azier says Cubans don't don't transist uh, transit well to pro. I agree, man. That's all I'm saying here. Also on this card, um, Philly heavyweight prospect Sonny Conto, uh, 23 years old, six foot four, um, improves to four and zero, going the full round distance, going the distance for the first time, gets in some much needed rounds. Okay, Grand Prairie, Texas on the zone, Golden Boy Promotions card. That again, I covered these fights for Ring TV. Did a couple of write-ups. You guys could check those out on the Ring TV site. And almost every fight on this card, on the entire DAZN broadcast, featured fighters, either both of them or one of them, from Texas. I thought that was really smart. Good job by Golden Boy Promotions. That's how you do this thing. So in the undercard, Hector Tanahara, 23-year-old, or turning 23 in December, from San Antonio. 135-pounder, approved to 18-0. And Austin, Texas native, Travel Mazion. 24 years old, 154-pounder, improved to 15-0 with the win on the undercard. In the co-main, Joshua Franco and Oscar Negrete fought to another split draw. Franco, turning 24 in October, has taken a lot of punishment in these three fights. They were all 10-rounders, 30 rounds with Negrete, and he took some punches, man. These guys really busted up the CompuBox stats, right? Every fight, tons of punches thrown, a lot of leather being slung. Oscar Negrete, 32 years old. He took a lot of punishment in these three fights. These, of course, were bantamweight fights. The first fight was a split draw. The second was a split decision win for Franco. A lot of people felt that Negrete won that second fight, including him. He even contemplated retirement after that second fight. That's how pissed off about it he was. And then in this fight, scores were 96-94 one way, 96-94 the other way, 95-95. Some people out there feel that Negrete did enough to take it. Look, I was cool with the draw. I was fine with the draw. When you look at the punch numbers and everything, um, it, it could be 6-4 either way. If, I, if you put a gun in my head and said, which guy edged it? You know, if, if there was no such thing as a draw, I'd say maybe Negrete edged it. You know, I would. But you got a guy from San Antonio, from right there in Texas, fighting in Texas, younger guy, he got the benefit of the doubt in the second fight. So technically, he was coming off a win. The other guy was technically coming off a loss. Maybe those things factored into the judging. But I didn't hate the draw. It felt like kind of an even fight. It did. Main event. Virgil Ortiz Jr. improves to 14-0 with a TKO 6 win over Antonio Orozco. This was at welterweight. I did a radio spot Saturday talking about this fight, and I incorrectly said it was at 140 pounds. That's where Virgil Ortiz started, but he's at 147 now. So he is going to stay at the welterweight division. I remember when I talked to him a few months back for that piece I did in Ring Ring Magazine about him, he was still, his dad wanted him to go back down to 140. And there was a couple guys at Golden Boy who wanted him to go down to 140. But Eric Gomez and Virgil Ortiz, they wanted to go to 47. So that's where they're at now. He's strong at that division, man. Big, strong, physical welterweight. Drops Orozco three times. Orozco did a good job staying low, covering up well, shelling up well, and landing some good counter shots. You know, uh, I like some of the right hands were getting in. Some of the body work was getting in. Was doing a good job giving giving, uh, Ortiz plenty to think about. But in the sixth round, Ortiz just stepped it up. He had never been past the fifth round. This was his first time, and it seemed he wasn't happy about it because he came out in the sixth round uh, just with a sense of urgency. 
And there was one beautiful movie deal where he shot a right uppercut. It was blocked. He shifted, shot a left uppercut. And Orozco didn't move quickly enough and adjust to it. Ortiz was just a little faster with his shift and shot that left uppercut. Hit him, dropped him. And Orozco, you could see his wits were about him. Because I think he, he mouthed like something like, fuck. Or you could just see, you know, with his lips. You could read his lips. He said like, damn it, something like that. When he was on his knees, when he went down. But his legs were gone. So his body just wasn't responding. Mentally, he was cool. It's like he saw the shot. He knew he was hurt. But he wasn't badly hurt. But he just could not recover. He could not recover. And uh, man, Ortiz, what a finisher this kid is. When he smells blood, holy shit. He jumped all over him, dropped him a couple more times. TKO6 win for him. Everyone's excited. Here's the one nuance, okay? The one thing. Yes, he, he, he stopped Orozco. He stopped Mauricio Herrera. Two guys who had previously never been stopped. But they're also natural junior welterweights, right? Junior welterweights who have taken punishment in plenty of fights. Herrera is well past his best. Orozco just had a long, grueling fight with Jose Carlos Ramirez earlier this year where he was dropped in that fight. And he's been dropped before. So people should be excited. Ortiz is, is a good-looking prospect. And I don't want to hear about no damn Ryan Kingry Garcia. Virgil Ortiz Jr. is the best young fighter Golden Boy Promotions has in their stable. And I wrote that in my piece on Ring TV Saturday night. And I knew... The folks at Golden Boy would see that, and maybe some of them would be triggered by it, but it's the truth. Virgil Ortiz Jr. is their best young fighter. He's better than Ryan Garcia, period. End of story. But let's slow down. He's only 21 years old, dude. 21 years old. I think that he could do one more fight this year. He could come back and fight in November, December, and get some more rounds in, but that's what he needs more than anything else is rounds and at some point next year they got to step him up against real welterweights and guys that can punch back that you know take your time with but the first step is to get him in there with real welterweights that can take him rounds that's what he needs next and then get him in there with some guys that could punch back and see how he, he responds to that. Okay, guys, so that's it with the review, man. Uh, not a whole lot going on. And by the way, this Thursday's preview show, there ain't a whole hell of a lot going on this weekend. It is truly the dog days of summer. But we're still going to do a show and have fun and talk and chat and chop it up. All right, so let's see. Do you guys have any questions or are you just going to keep arguing with each other? Harrison Property asks, what is the golden belt, Mike? Is that, the w- is that WBA? I think that's WBA bullshit. I don't know. I can't keep up with the WBA, man. They give out belts like prostitutes give out herpes. I I can't, I I just, I don't know. I can't keep up with them. It's best to not think about them. How about that? Let's see. Gail Falkenthal says, Ortiz Jr.'s comments after the fight critiquing himself are exactly what you want to hear from a young talent. Absolutely, Gail. Absolutely. Ortiz said... And I think I, I wrote about it in my piece. Uh, something and I'm paraphrasing, but something like, ah, I got a little too excited in the first round. I should have slowed down. You know, um, you know, I just things I could have did better. So even though he scored a knockout win and, and really had a dominant victory, he was harsh in critiquing his performance. Similar to Teofimo Lopez, 
a few weeks back when he went the 12-round distance and didn't look great, didn't look spectacular, but he still clearly won. It was a one-sided fight, and he was very critical of his performance. That's what you want to see from young fighters. That's what you want to hear from young fighters, I, I meant. So I think one thing I got from talking to Virgil Ortiz a couple months back, he's a smart young kid who gets it, And again, when I compare him to Ryan Garcia, and the only reason I'm making this comparison is because Golden Boy Promotions represents both of them. And a lot of people are excited about Garcia, and they compare him to Oscar De La Hoya, which is an idiotic comparison for several reasons. But the main difference I get between Garcia and Ortiz, Ortiz has more of a fighter, boxing-first mindset. Garcia's mind is on a million other things, right? He's got baby mama drama, He's worried about his Instagrams and, you know, all these vignettes and posters and pictures and shit and being a teenage heartthrob, the Justin Bieber of boxing. And that's fine if that's what he wants to do. But Anthony Joshua got caught up in that shit earlier this year and look what happened to him, right? Ortiz ain't that kid. He ain't that guy. He ain't going to win. He's not going to be on the cover of Teen Steam magazine (laughs) with with Ryan Garcia. Not that he's a bad looking kid. I'm just saying he's not you know, a a model material like Kingry is, okay? So, uh, like, Kingry, you could see him as an underwear model for Calvin Klein. Do they still make Calvin Klein underwear? I don't know. I'm old. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. But for Virgil Ortiz, man, he's just thinking about boxing 24-7. That's his life. That's his main focus. He's not, you know, getting, I can't think of the word, distracted by all these other things, like Garcia is. And that's another reason why I think he's got more upside. Golden Boy Promotions should be putting all their stock in Virgil Ortiz Jr. and putting him on every damn Canelo undercard. Whenever Canelo fights later this year, which is probably going to be November, December, probably more likely December, when he fights next, Virgil Ortiz needs to be on that damn undercard. Part of the damn DAZN broadcast, if not the co-main. Seriously. They need to start hyping him up. Let's see. Um... Hamed says Ortiz is legit. Tiafimo, no, he's a hype job. Hamed, I disagree, bro. I think that um, I think that Tiafimo Lopez is still a blue chipper. And guys, it's one fight. He didn't look spectacular. Not one fight. Okay, don't judge a guy based off one fight. Tiafimo Lopez is the goods. He bought into his own hype a little too much, and I'm a little concerned about Tiafimo Lopez's dad. I think there's issues with the dad and with the family. And I don't like the fact that Teofimo got married. I'm with his mom on that. Uh, fighters should not get married, especially fighters that young, to a girl who's much older than them. I, yeah, there's issues there, but there's still a lot of talent, okay? He's definitely not overhyped. Uh, you guys are arguing about Nestor Gibbs and guys... The boxing, but guys, stop talking about other channels here. You're on my channel. Talk about my channel, damn it. Don't be arguing about other channels in the chat. Come on now. Keep this shit positive. Gail says, Teofimo Sr. is the second coming of Angel Garcia. Yes, I concur 100% Gail. Oh, Tiffany Lambson, what's up? She says, what's for dinner, guys? Pasta. (laughs) Tiffany, you know what? You really, really messed me up on national radio because you told everyone that I did yoga and I hurt my wrist. And there's people out there that actually believe it. I've had people messaging me like, bro, you do yoga? You're a candy ass. You know, honestly, I'm being 100% honest. 
<laughs> she says people need to know the truth. I want to try yoga because I heard that it's it's good to stretch out your back and shit. So I'd like to try it, but nah. Gail says, Michael, no shame in doing yoga, bro. Exactly. I, I would like to try it. But last week, that's not what happened. MGB Tacos having enchiladas tonight. Hell yeah, dude. That sounds good. I'm down with that. Let's see. Hibachi. Joel, you're having hibachi. Hibachi's good, man. You guys are eating some good shit tonight. Hamed's laughing at my yoga thing. Hamed, don't believe these rumors. I was not doing yoga. I had a crown put into my tooth. And it sucked. <laughs> Gail says I should do yoga with Keith Thurman. Who's bringing the flute? And I've heard, you know what? Apparently Keith Thurman wasn't playing the flute. Apparently it's, apparently it's named something else. I don't know. Uh, Azier is, is asking me about Murat Gassiev news. Dude, I don't know. I don't know. I think he got hurt. There's an injury. I'm not sure. I need to check into that. I need to hit up Abel Sanchez, I guess, and ask what's going on. Um, talk about momentum killer. Man, both Usyk and, and Gassiev have not fought yet this year, right? And they're supposed to make things at heavyweight interesting. Gassiev might not fight this year. That sucks. All right. Harrison Property asks, what is Tiffany cooking? I'm coming around. Dude, Tiffany has perfected her, uh, her pasta sauce. Perfected it. She made a meat gravy with, what do we put in it? Bone marrow, lamb necks for flavor, and then bison meat, turkey sausage, and uh, cooked a huge pot of it yesterday. And I ate it for dinner last night, lunch today, and another portion of it right before the show. Holy shit, it's good. So she's getting pretty good at cooking some Italian food. We eat well in this house. Baked ziti, that's right. Baked ziti for dinner tonight. Fossil27 asks, Gassiev still with Sanchez? As far as I know, dude, yes, he's still with Sanchez. So uh, I don't know what's going on there. I really, really don't. <laughs> ADBC says, King Ryan, the future of boxing. Look, I'm not saying King Ryan doesn't have potential. He's got a ton of potential. He hits hard. He's got good speed. His footwork's decent, but he's, he lacks head movement. His footwork could improve, and I just don't know if he's dedicated. Dude, boxing is different than other sports. This isn't the NBA, guys. You can't smoke weed through half the season and take half the plays off like most, like LeBron James does. You can't do that in boxing. You can't. You have to be almost sociopathic about this shit. You just have to, uh, to, to really succeed in this business. So I don't know, man, but he is working. Yeah, you know what? Okay, ADBC made a good point. He says Canelo's trainer is gonna fine tune him. That's a very good point. I do, I think it was a very smart move for Ryan Garcia to start working with the Reynosos. I think that's a really good move for him and it will make him better. However, He's starting to pick up on some of Canelo's diva-ish stuff. But I do think overall working with the Reynosos, who are underrated trainers, they really are. They've done a great job with Canelo. Um, I think that's going to make him a much better fighter. So I had forgotten about that, bro. Good point. Very good point. Hamed's talking about 
Asian food. <laughs> Dude, guys, Vietnamese food might be the best Asian food. Seriously. Tiffany put me on the Vietnamese food. It's the shit. It's way better than Chinese food. If you haven't had Vietnamese food, get on it. Trust me. And not just pho. Everyone knows pho. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about all the stuff I can't pronounce. (laughs) It's good. Trust me. All right, guys. Let's see here. One more question and I'm out. It comes from Jacob Rivas. Do you see any similarities between Virgil Ortiz and a young Tito Trinidad? Both have the seek and destroy style. Man, that's interesting. I got to think about that one. There are some similarities for sure. Man, now you got me wanting to go back and watch some old Tito fights. Hmm. Here's the thing. I'll say this much. The whole seek and destroy style, it works when you're fighting smaller guys, older guys, overmatched guys. But I want to see Convergent Ortiz make adjustments in box because that's what his trainers are saying. They're saying this guy can box. And he's got all sorts of skills. That's what Robert Garcia is saying. And Virgil Ortiz was telling me that when we talked. That he actually wants to be more of a boxer. So when he steps up, when he starts fighting guys in the top 15, top 10, then he goes for a title shot. Is he going to keep that seek and destroy style? Or is he going to show us adjustments in boxing? Because Tito could do things like that. He'd come after you, try to kill you. But if he had to, he could box a little bit. Not great. Not great. And I don't know, man. Maybe Ortiz can prove to be a better boxer than Tito. But um, yeah, we got to see how he looks once he starts to step up. You know what I'm saying? That's still unseen. And a lot of people are really excited about him. But again, if I'm Golden Boy Promotions, if I'm in their front office, I'm I'm telling everyone, guys, this kid's 21. This kid's 21. It's kind of like the Daniel Dubois situation. Now, Virgil Ortiz, pound for pound, much further along than Daniel Dubois. But, same age. Take your time, dude. Build them up. All right, one more question. I lied. Paul Jacobson asked, Mike, what do you think of Kanachi? Kanachi. Uh, so, other than the fact that I consistently butcher his name, you know, I like Adam Kanachi. Some people have called him the Polish Andy Ruiz Jr. I, I think Andy Ruiz is better than him. I think that um, the Polish fighter, he, he hits hard. He, he moves his feet well, but I think Andy does a little bit better defensively and arguably moves his feet a little better. He's just a little more nimble with his upper body movement and rolls with punches, right? It's not like Ruiz isn't slipping and ducking and doing all that kind of shit, but he rolls with shots, right? I think he has, you can hit Andy Ruiz, certainly, especially if you have length and stay behind a jab, but he can roll with punches. And that's why he was able to take so many of AJ's punches and so many of Joseph Parker's punches when they fought. Um, And Kovnachi doesn't do that as well. He doesn't roll his shots. He gets hit too much. So he's in the top 10. He's a top 10 heavyweight, but he's not a top five heavyweight. I mean, right now you got the four-headed monster, right? And then after that, you got like Luis Ortiz, Dillian White, those level guys. And then the tier after that, that's where Kovnachi is. So the lower part of the top 10, maybe he's the eighth best Heavyweight in the world, somewhere around there right now. That's that's where he is. Uh, Saloon Mooney says, dude's nothing like Ruiz. I agree. I, well, I'm not going to say nothing like him. They both look the same. They're both chubby, pale guys. You know, they so they look similar. People are going to make comparisons. 
They also have very fast hands and misleading athleticism for their build. Salem Mooney says he's more like Brazil. Eh. He's much faster than Brazil. He's much more athletic than Brazil. And uh, I think he takes a better shot than Brazil. And he's got more power than Brazil. So I wouldn't compare him to Brazil, dude. Brazil's a lot taller. Just in terms of his size, the way he moves, there's a little more similarity to uh, Andy Ruiz. I just think Andy Ruiz is better. He's just Andy is a, it's just better defensively, like I said. Rolls with punches better. And I think if they were to fight, I'd like to see it. And I think eventually it's going to happen because they're both PBC guys. But when you see Ruiz and Cavanacci fight, it's going to be fun, but Ruiz is going to win. That's what I think. All right, guys, we're almost an hour in, so I hope you enjoyed the chat. Remember, Thursday night, same time, same place, preview show, and there's not a whole lot to preview, so we're going to be doing a lot of chatting and uh, arguing, right, which is fun. Just keep it civil. All right, guys, I'll see you at the fights.